Well, for those of you that have been around this summer, uh, we've been working our way uh, through a series on the Apostles' Creed, um, which is uh, kind of this ancient Christian uh, creed. And uh, we've talked about how it is not itself Scripture, but points us to the truth of Scripture. It's a a widely accepted um, uh, doctrine on just the basics of the, the Christian faith, accepted by Catholics and Protestants for over 1,900 years. So... We've been taking a look at that. Uh, We talked about at the very beginning that it was established as um, a profession of faith that somebody would say at their baptism. So when people would gather, family, friends, church community, uh, and folks that were getting baptized as followers of Christ would stand up and say, I believe this, 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 this about Christ, about um, God and who he is, Um, knowing that by stating that uh, publicly at that time, Um, you were declaring yourself as an enemy of the Roman Empire and potentially kind of signing your potential death warrant. So it was a very serious, a very solemn declaration. So we're going to go ahead and stand today and recite it together. Um, So just repeat with me. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. I believe in Jesus Christ, God's only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended to the dead. On the third day, he rose again. He ascended into heaven. He is seated at the right hand of the Father, and he will come to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. Well, as I was reciting that, I was trying to think, now when was the last time I spoke on one of those topics? (laughs) So thank you for your patience. I've been gone a little bit, um, cross-country camp and vacations and some different things. So it's good to be here this morning. Um, We have almost made it to the very end, as you can tell. Today we're going to explore kind of the final two statements up there, the resurrection of the body and the life everlasting. So for most of us here, this was kind of back to school week. Um, Whether you are an educator or a coach or a student or the parent of a student, um, we would probably, you know, define this August, these couple weeks here as some of the busiest um, weeks in our year. And so um, everything's just a little bit Frantic, and, and when we are in these days and we are sprinting hard through life, I think it's a really good exercise to ask ourselves, what is driving our activity? What's underneath all of the frantic movement in our life? Because I think at some level, it's that we're all kind of hoping in something. Right, we enter into a new school year, and um, you know, if you're a student, you're hoping that your academic year is good, your, your activities or sports that you're in will, will yield something amazing, you, you have hopes in what your social life might look like that year. If you're an educator, you have hopes that you'll just make it through the year with your brain intact, right? Um, you might have some professional goals or Um, you know, things that you want to impart to your students, relationships you want to have with them. And for many of those, um, for many of us, those are what I would call kind of general hopes, 
okay? We're working hard at many things, and it would be nice if those things went well, if there was some kind of payoff at the end of all of this hard work that uh, we're doing and will continue to do for a while. But most people kind of understand that life isn't always going to go our way, that somewhere along the way we're going to face some adversity um, you know, our best laid plans for how the year was going to go is going to disintegrate somehow. Might even be something kind of outside of our control. Um, so a lot of people op- operate in that idea of kind of general hopes. For some people, though, their school, their sports, their friendships and relationships, their job, all of those things contain their ultimate hopes. Ultimate hopes. And what I mean by that is that They are so connected to those things, delivering something for them. Success, approval, love. That if those things don't go the way they think they should, it can be kind of a devastating blow to their psyche. And things can kind of start to unravel and fall apart for them emotionally, spiritually, physically. And those misplaced hopes can have tragic consequences if you don't get the expected outcome out of those things. Or possibly even maybe just as destructive, or maybe even more destructive, is if actually everything goes well according to your plan to the point where you think, you know, I can kind of handle life on my own. I don't even really need God. So there's kind of danger on either end of the spectrum, either things falling apart or going too well, right, can be kind of dangerous for us. But hopes are the engine driving our life. And just like we have a car that has an engine, right, you have, we have this dashboard that flashes red lights when things in the engine aren't going well. And you know kind of that sick feeling, right, when you're driving down the road and all of a sudden, boom, check engine or the oil light or whatever comes on, it's like, ah. Our life has those things as well, okay? We have these red lights that come up and begin to flash. And many times these red lights for us in our kind of life car are things like fear and anxiety and control and restlessness or anger or depression. And when those things in our life begin to flash, they begin to tell us that maybe the engine that we're putting our hope in, maybe something's wrong with it. The engine, those misplaced hopes weren't created to satisfy us. And so many of those things that we're putting our hope into delivering something in our life are really outside of our control, potentially. It could be things that other people are doing or just things with the culture of our society or whatever we're doing that we can't control anyways. So this creedal statement that we're going to look at today, these couple things, the resurrection of the body and the life everlasting, those are ultimate hope kind of statements ultimate hope. So I want you to go ahead and open your Bibles to 1 Corinthians 15. If you can, it's page 1050. <clears throat> 1 Corinthians 15. We're going to be in here a couple times. So if you can, just kind of keep your finger here or mark it so that we can come back to it. We're going to look at a couple different passages. Okay, starting in verse 12. This is Paul writing. He says, But if it is preached that Christ has been raised from the dead, how can some of you say that there is no resurrection of the dead? 
If there is no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, our preaching is useless, and so is your faith. More than that, we are then found to be false witnesses about God. For we have testified about God that he raised Christ from the dead. But he did not raise him if in fact the dead are not raised. For if the dead are not raised, then Christ has not been raised either. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile. You are still in your sins. Then those also who have fallen asleep in Christ are lost. If only for this life we have hope in Christ, we are of all people most to be pitied. So Paul is kind of strongly expressing here the importance of believing in the resurrection of Christ as kind of a precursor for our own resurrection. So if we can't wholeheartedly believe the doctrine of resurrection, he's saying, what is our faith for? If Christ isn't raised, then what are we putting our hope in? And as we've talked through the Apostles' Creed, and each week we've talked about, we've stated, I believe, whatever this line is on on the doctrine that we're talking about, We've said that we, in that, we embrace God's narrative of kind of how life uh, and faith with him works. And in doing so, that we have to also then reject the world's narrative. Because the world's narrative is telling us something usually completely opposite of that. That anything other than the Trinitarian, so Father, God, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, life, death, and resurrection events, anything other than that can't bring us ultimate hope and ultimate satisfaction. Now, I'm sure that many of you would agree with me that as we look at these two statements that we're looking at today, the resurrection of the body and the life everlasting, those might be the two hardest statements to kind of wholeheartedly say, I believe that. Because all of us here, most of us at least, have been to some and maybe multiple funerals in our life. And we've dealt with the finality of that. And the, the weight of the grief and the pain and the sorrow in the room, the loss. And I would venture to guess that most of us haven't seen somebody resurrected. Um, if you have, I'd love to hear the story. Talk to me afterwards, okay? But it's, it, it, when you're talking about life experiences of, of funerals compared to resurrections, it's weighted heavily on, on the other end of the spectrum here of the loss and the pain and the hurt category, Okay? So for us, this is one of those places where our faith is really put to the test, isn't it? Where we really have to come to terms and decide what is it I really believe about life after death, about eternity. Because you see, death is the fundamental human problem. It's the problem that we all have to face. Death is batting a thousand, right? Almost. Okay, it's something that we're all going to deal with, and it's most people's greatest fear. And Jesus knows that about us. He knows that that is something that we're going to wrestle with. And so in his ministry, he confronts that with the death of his friend Lazarus. If you guys remember the story in John chapter 11, right, Jesus knows this one particular family well in this town. He showed up, that family showed up in Scripture before He enters into Bethany in John chapter 11 because he's heard that his friend Lazarus is really sick. He waits a couple days for whatever reason. We don't know why. By the time he gets there, he finds out that Lazarus is already dead and in the tomb. 
And so he's confronted with the sisters of Lazarus, Mary and Martha, and he has this really interesting little conversation with Martha. This is before he's raised Lazarus from the dead. So I just want to share this with you real quick. I'll just read it. It's John eleven twenty-three. 23. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Martha answered, I know he'll rise again in the resurrection at the last day, talking about kind of like judgment day. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live even though they die. And whoever lives by believing in me will never die. Do you believe this? Can you imagine the intensity of that question in that moment? With all that's hanging in the balance and the reality of a a dead body in a tomb? And Jesus looks at her and says, do you believe this? Why does this question matter so much to Jesus? I'm throwing that out to you guys. Why is this question so important? Hold up, raise your hand. I don't know who's coming from. Yes, sir. (laughs) Okay, it testifies to his control, that Jesus is ultimately in control of life and death. That's good. What else? Yes, hang on a second. Let me come closer to you here. Yeah. Okay, yeah, it shows the importance of faith and believing that everything's not just going to be so physical and tangible, right? There's some things we're going to have to trust Christ in. That's good. Anything else? Yeah, Brad? Okay. Yeah, the one thing in life that we really can't control, he can control. And so that elevates his status. Those are good. Good answers. I think part of it too, guys, is is if we kind of connect some dots, how we answer that question about what we ultimately believe. Do we believe what Jesus said, that he, if, if we're in him, even though we die, we, we live? How we answer that question He knows it'll dictate the way in which we live in the here and now. How we answer that question will dictate the way in which we live in the here and now. And we're going to get more onto that later. It's no secret that our bodies are a mess. Am I right? Yes. The older we are, the more messy it can be. Okay? So there's a lot of young people in the room, so you're going to have to maybe... Use your imagination this morning, okay? But no matter what age you are, if I had you get out a piece of pen and paper and I said, list all the things you'd like to change about your physical body, most of us could probably get into that 10 to 20 things on the list range pretty darn quickly, right? Maybe the older we are, the more we'd easily we'd have a list, okay? Don't ask a friend, what to put on the list, okay? And if somebody asks you, don't say anything, okay? But listen, guys, I'm 50, all right? Just turned 50, and stuff's starting to fall apart, right? 
my knees hurt more than they have ever hurt. Um, I can't see as well as I used to. I can't hear as well as I used to. Now, here's the really tragic thing in God's whole design of the human body, at least for men. As we get older, my ears keep getting bigger, but I hear worse. I mean, what's up with that, right? I'd have supersonic hearing now, right? Okay, guys, when I'm out, you know, running, I don't, I, I can't sprint anymore, all right? There's no, like, next gear. I can get up to about, you know, 80% of what I used to do, and then it's just like, that's all we got, buddy, right? I'm trying to, you know, get Scotty in the, in the power room. Scotty, give me a little bit more. It's like, that's Star Trek reference. Anyway, so it's like there's nothing there, right? I got no ups, right? Rob Howen ain't got no ups either. We just played some we just play some pickleball. <laughs> he goes up and he's like, yeah, I think I just pulled my hamstring, right? Sorry, Rob. <laughs> oh, mercy. All right, I can't sleep more than seven hours. I mean, I set my alarm sometimes kind of laughingly for like 7.15. I never make it, ever, all right? I can't do it for whatever reason. Guys, it's really what's... The redeeming thing in all this is that I'm just so ruggedly handsome. I mean, (laughs) thank God, you know, for the good looks he gave me, um, or it'd be a total loss. But seriously, I have talked to my cross-country team. You know, I run with my kids every day, and um, I have said on more than one occasion, man, I wish I could just have my 17-year-old body for one day, and I could go out and do a workout with you guys or race you guys. And maybe not beat you, but I could hang with you, and you'd be like, dang, Coach Miller wasn't bad back in the day, right? <laughs> <clears throat> that ain't happening again. Um, we all groan for that best version of ourselves, don't we? And Paul talks about the reality in Romans 8, if you've ever read that passage. He talks about this groaning that we all have for that day when the glory of our resurrected bodies will be revealed. And I wanted to take a moment just to look at some verses that talk about what our resurrected bodies will be like. And John, John writes this this in 1 John, Dear friends, now we are children of God, and what we will be has not yet been made known. But we know that when Christ appears, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. And so if you think about who Christ is and this this perfect person, it says we're going to be like him. Philippians, Paul writes, but our citizenship is in heaven, and we eagerly await a Savior from there, the Lord Jesus Christ, who by the power that enables him to bring everything under his control will transform our lowly bodies so that they will be like his glorious body. 1 Corinthians, so will it be with the resurrection of the dead. The body that is sown is perishable, and it is raised imperishable. It is sown in dishonor. It is raised in glory It is sown in weakness. It is raised in power. And finally, in Matthew 13, then the righteous will shine like the sun in the kingdom of their father. Whoever has ears, let them hear. And so we get these little glimpses here and there that whatever it is that our resurrected bodies are going to be like, they're going to be glorious. They're going to be like Christ in many ways. Remember when Jesus was resurrected, right, and he appears to his disciples at the end of the Gospels, and you see that one scene where he, you know, kind of pops into the room, and Thomas is there, and Thomas had missed the last appearance, 
and he, he says, I don't believe it's you. And Jesus still has the scars in his hands and his side and his feet, but his body is completely restored, right? The, the disciples had just seen him on the cross a few days before that, beaten and bloodied and bruised and just skin just ripped to shreds. And he's standing before them completely healed and whole. That's the resurrected body of Christ. It gives us a little picture into what we're going to look like. And folks, I believe that one day I'm going to run fast again. And my luscious hair is going to flow in the wind. And y'all aren't even going to recognize me. But it's going to be true for all of us. What awaits us is a body free of decay and ruin. And as I was reading about this this week, too, one thing that some uh, just writers mentioned was that our personalities will still be intact, but they'll be completely sinless. We'll be completely sinless, so all of our character flaws will be gone. Whew, that's good news, isn't it? I can't wait for that day. So that's our resurrected body. So what of the life everlasting? If death is the fundamental human problem, then what's the Christian response to that? So let's get back into 1 Corinthians 15, starting in verse 51. Paul says this, Listen, I tell you a mystery. We will not all sleep, but we will all be changed in a flash, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound The dead will be raised imperishable, and we will be changed. For the perishable must clothe itself with the imperishable, and the mortal with immortality. When the perishable has been clothed with the imperishable, and the mortal with immortality, then the saying that is written will come true. Death has been swallowed up in victory. Where, O death, is your victory? Where, O death, is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God. He gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. We will be changed. It says that our bodies will be imperishable. That means that there'll be no expiration date. <laughs> right? There, there's no best if used by date on us anymore. Okay? And it says that we will be immortal. And guys, the news gets even better than that. I want you to turn to the very next to last chapter in Scripture, Revelation, actually this, yeah, next to the last one, Revelation 21, page 1138. Starting in verse 1 of chapter 21, it says this, John writes, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and there was no longer any sea I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, look, God's dwelling place is now among the people, and he will dwell with them. They will be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God. Now, brief side note, okay? Christians understand this. Heaven is coming here. We're not floating up into the clouds somewhere. We're not going to be ghosts or spirits up there. Okay, God is bringing heaven to us here, okay, on a new earth that he's creating. And he's, going to, he's coming down to us, 
and is going to dwell with us. Okay, so make sure you understand that. If you hear something squirrely that's not that, come back to Revelation 21 remind yourself, okay? Verse 4, he will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain, for the old order of things has passed away. He who was seated on the throne said, I am making everything new. Then he said, write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. God is making everything new. So not only will our our physical bodies be the best version imaginable, but guys, emotionally, can you imagine a time when there is no more pain, no more fears, no more worries, no more depression, no more tears for death and sin and the tragic consequences that fill our lives with so much grief and suffering will all be gone. And it will be perfect. It will be a return to the Garden of Eden, to God's original design for humanity, us in perfect relationship with our Creator, in perfect relationship with one another, in perfect relationship to the earth that we're slowly destroying now. And one of my favorite verses in the Bible is that verse that we just ended with, Revelation 21.5. Let me read it to you again. It says, he who was seated on the throne, Jesus says, I am making everything new. Then he said, write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. And guys, he says that to instill confidence in our hearts, to say, I know what you're seeing with your eyes. (laughs) What you're seeing with your eyes when you look at the world, when you look at everybody else, and when you look at yourself in the mirror each day is a slow decay and destruction. I know that's what you see. But I'm telling you that there is a parallel spiritual reality going on that's telling a much different story with promises for us that will blow our minds away. And Christians, we have to, we must believe in the promises and the words of Christ. We have to be the carriers of hope to this desperate and dying world. We have to be the people that stand up in those tragic discouraging, disappointing moments and say, hey, there's something else. God is doing something here. This is not the end of your story. Even if your physical end might come on this earth, there's something after that that's better and more crazy and more unbelievable than you could ever imagine. We have to be the people carrying that message. Paul writes in Romans 8, 24 and 25, he says this, hope that is seen is no hope at all. Who hopes for what they already have? But if we hope for what we do not yet have, we wait for it patiently. And you know what Paul writes next? I love this. He says, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. Isn't that a great promise and a great provision? That when we struggle to believe the things that Jesus tells us that are true, he says, I've put my Spirit in you to help you. When you're weak, When you don't believe that there is something else, that there is a life everlasting, that there is a resurrected body, I put my spirit in you to help you. And so we come back to the question we've been asking every week of this series on the Apostles' Creed, and it's this, is if we believe in the resurrection of the body and the life everlasting, then how should we be living now? How should we be living if we say we believe this? What do you guys think? How should this truth 
shape our daily lives in the here and now. If we know that one day we're going to have this resurrected body and this eternal life, if that's secure, how should it affect the way we live currently? If we believe that. Yes. Okay, that everything here is temporary. <laughs> so don't live or put your hope into things here. Keep your eyes on eternity and those things matter more, right? More significant. Yes. Well, I think at the end of uh, chapter 15, I think it like, he says, stand firm, let nothing move you. Give yourself fully to the work of the Lord. It's not in vain. And so I think that's what it is. It's just like, don't, don't lose the sight of like, what we're working for and it's not going to be in vain. Yeah. Good. At the end of that passage in chapter 15, he says that all this stuff that I'm talking about and this work you're doing is not in vain. Okay? So it's not wasted. Okay? Good. What else? How should it affect the way we live? I'm just thinking less stressful. I mean, know God is in control. Yeah. If God is in control, our life should not be marked by stress and anxiety and fear and all those things if we, if we ultimately believe that he's in control. What else? Guys, there's lots of implications here. We can keep going. Yeah. I feel like a growing cynicism to myself, but like it can speak into that. Like if I'm not placing my trust in this government or this project or this whatever, yeah, it makes us cynical and pessimistic, right? Because we see the things in the world that aren't solving problems in our world and we're putting our hopes people that don't have christ are putting their hopes in something that something's going to make the world better whether that's government or with their own achievement or whatever and it makes them really cynical because it, it ultimately always fails and never delivers yeah phil yeah we should be spending our resources now right as a church, like we live in this tension with our board. We're having a board retreat today. How much money do we keep in the bank? <laughs> right? When Jesus comes back, like we don't want to be sitting on a bunch of cash. All right? So we, we constantly are pushing ourselves to live on that edge of, God, what's the next thing? Who, who, who else can we, can we help, you know, buy a house to do ministry in the neighborhood, whatever it might be. Sorry, financial planners out there, Dave, retirement people. I, I don't know what to tell you, but I appreciate your advice. But yeah. Yeah. Living by example of what God's given us now and carrying the message to those who don't know. Yeah. It ought, to, it ought to give us a sense of urgency to carry this message to people that don't know, right? People are, who are living with this fear of death and, and, and putting their hopes in the things of this world that aren't going to deliver, it ought to increase this sense of urgency in us to tell people that there is hope in Christ, that there's a different story different narrative they could be living by that's going to offer them more hope and optimism on something that they can believe in. Guys, I just wrote down a few things. We ought to be fearless. Like, what do we have to fear? We're, we're going to have a resurrected body and eternal life. We ought to move towards suffering because we know it's temporary and can't compare to the life God has for us. We ought to have a sense of urgency. We mentioned that. We ought to be dispensers of hope. Guys, here's a question that I want to I leave you with this morning that we all need to be wrestling with. 
is where are we placing our ultimate hope? What's driving your life? And you know how you can kind of gauge what's driving your life? What's the first thought that you have in the morning when you wake up? Or maybe a better question is this. When you have nothing to be thinking about, what do you think about? Where does your mind go? Is it about how you need to perform or achieve to get what you feel like you need in life? Success and titles, affirmation, money, material things? Is your first thought the people that you need to please that day? The people you need to make happy or appease so you can feel loved, accepted, wanted, desired? What do your check engine lights tell you about your misplaced hope? What do the presence of insecurity, fear, anxiety, control, apathy, anger, restlessness say about what you ultimately believe about your life and about the promises of God? The presence of those things is telling you something about potentially misplaced hope in your life. Because, guys, listen, none of those emotions are from him. Someone who is putting their hope in the right thing, and when they wake up in the morning, their thoughts are on him. When they have nothing else to think about, they think about him. You know what's present in their life? The fruits of the Spirit. And the fruits of the Spirit are love, joy, peace, Patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control. Those would be like, you know, if, if you could have an alternative light system, they'd be the green lights popping up saying, hey, your car's doing awesome, right? How come we don't have those on cars, <laughs> right? This engine could go on forever. The oil in here is amazing, right? And so honestly, guys, here's, here's the flip narrative. This is not even my script. I'm going off script, Okay is that as Christians, we have the opportunity to point out the green lights we see in other people's lives, right? It's so easy to say, oh, man, you shouldn't be this, 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 and this, and blah, blah, blah. It's like sometimes we need to say, oh, man, I, I love the way that you're so peaceful or so joyful. I love the way that you encourage other people, and you're so optimistic, and your faith is so strong, or whatever it might be. Call those things out in people and encourage them that they're on the right path, that they're thinking about the right things. Guys, we believe in the resurrection of the body and the life everlasting. And because we do, our life ought to look a certain way as proof that those truths have taken hold and planted roots in our hearts. We're going to take communion today. Okay? So I really want you guys to, I want you to wrestle with this question while we have some silence here in a moment. What do my thoughts and my emotions tell me, or what are they telling me, about what I'm putting my hope in? What do my thoughts and what do my emotions tell me about what I'm putting my hope in? And do I have some misplaced hopes right now in people, in circumstances, in things, in positions, in titles, in relationships? that aren't yielding 
for me what they're supposed to be because they weren't created to. I need to shift my hopes, the things that are secure, who Christ is, who he says I am, what his promises are for my life so that I can begin reflecting those fruits of the spirit in my life and be a blessing to people around me, right? Because when, we're, when we got those red lights flashing, it's very hard for us to care about anybody else but ourselves in those moments or to love people very well at all, even if our intentions are good. Because those things are crippling to us and consuming mentally, emotionally. They exhaust us, they drain us. They don't give us life and energy to love and care for other people well. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for your promises and your truth. And God, they're not promises in vain. That this is why this stuff is recorded in Scripture. God, you raised Lazarus from the dead. You yourself were raised from the dead. Your resurrected body was on display. You showed yourself to give us hope that this, this is our story. God, that we will be like you. So God, if that's true and, and we buy into that and believe that wholeheartedly, God, our life ought to look a certain way. And so if it doesn't, we need to ask ourselves why. So speak to us, God. Help reveal to us where are some of our misplaced hopes, what are some of the engines that we've placed in this car of our life that, that are faulty, that are going to break down, that might last for a season or for a while as long as we can control it, but ultimately won't deliver the things that you can to us. Lord, we just give you this time, pray that you would speak to us, prepare our hearts to engage in this remembrance of you.